Welcome back to the Retro Monster Truck Review. My name is Josh Rhodes. I am your host with the most across this journey in time in monster truck racing. Hope y'all don't mind we took last week off. This week, though, we're right back into it with Toledo, Ohio, Toledo Speedway, day number two of action for TNT Motorsports. As always, thank you everybody for the subscriptions on YouTube, the likes and the comments as well. Also, don't forget to follow us on Spotify and leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. Without further ado, let's bring in Matt Stoltz and let's get started here on the Retro Monster Truck Review. Presents the most powerful sport on earth, the Renegades TNT Monster Truck Challenge. Welcome back to yet another edition of the Retro Monster Truck Review. This week, day number two out in Toledo, Ohio at Toledo Speedway. We talked about the track last week, Matt. This week, though, most powerful sport on earth, power tracks. And the TNT Motorsports comes back yet again for another U-turn course. And I got to ask you, how do Army and Richard open the show? He goes... Hi, I'm Richard Leak, and this week we will take a peek at what separates the strong from the weak. For some, things will look bleak, but someone may break their losing streak. Wow, he did it, folks, ladies and gentlemen. If I could pipe in like the five minutes that it took him to come up with that joke there at the beginning, <laughs> that would be great. I'm kidding. It was a good. One. That was a good. That was a good one. I got to admit. Uh, we see Rod Litzow making his qualifying pass to really start the show, and boy, they're really getting into the action this time around, Matt. The day before, uh, on that episode, it kind of seems like they took a little bit. They actually went to a commercial break first before we got into the action. Here we see Rod Litzow making his qualifying pass, and the one thing to point out too, Rod is actually in the other lane than he was the day before. He's over in that right lane trying it out, and USA One has a little bit of trouble in his qualifying pass. He sure does. It looks like Rod kind of got a little bit out of sorts in where he was coming out of the turn. And I'm thinking maybe he couldn't see where the beginning of the cars were because he came out of the corner nice and tight. That really messed him up, and he really had to second-guess himself, and it hurt him in his qualifying time. And uh, you know, here at Toledo Speedway, we get to see the trucks being introduced, and Dale Harris of the Casper truck kind of given uh, an interesting bow salute to the fans as he heads back to the pits. Always the showman, the man out of Pearl, Mississippi. That's right. Dale Harris, uh, the Casper machine. I got to tell you, that truck is just so tall. Everything about it just screams it's not going to work, but he makes it work so well. And I think that's why it was such a fan favorite. He really does. The truck, you know, basically had non-existent suspension, really stiff tires, and Dale just put it all on his shoulders and carried that truck forward with him. And, you know, he's going to shine, I think, uh, a little bit here in this episode as we get through the brackets. Yep, our list of favorites, kind of the same as the last episode. They don't mention the Breen brothers here, though. They just say Litzow, Hoosier, and, of course, Dale Harris specifically mentioned as the fan favorite. And our ma and actually, a little bit of surprise here is number one qualifier, but maybe not a surprise considering it, like we said last week, one of the first trucks to really be called a race truck. That's Mad Dog. We'll find out that he is TQ as we go through our round one pairings here, and we actually watch his qualifying pass. Mad Dog and USA One is going to start us all out, and i got to tell you, that right there is the one I'm circling as uh wow okay this could be the race of the night yeah you've got your number one qualifier against the guy who you expect is going to go out and win so it's going to be a good race for sure and we see the run from mad dog i'm going to give it you know maybe a an eight out of ten on the qualifying effort here it wasn't a, a bad run it wasn't a blistering run though either so i think a lot of guys may have had some trouble in qualifying just getting a smooth run in john kind of being the benefactor there putting in a, a half decent run and that's good enough for the extra qualifying bonus which there was you know some money behind that back then in 1988 yep the next pairing casper and bigfoot the interesting thing about this pairing though is if you look at the top two mad dog and usa one Casper and Bigfoot's the next pairing. If Bigfoot and USA 1 get out of round one and round two, there's a potential of a semifinal matchup here between the two top points trucks. It does, and that's going to leave the bracket open on the other side of the bracket for maybe somebody to break through that we haven't seen in a while. 
And speaking of people that need to break through, here's Scott Stevens and King Crunch. He's going to be taking on the No Problem Machine. That's right, the boat. No problem out here. Leadfoot and Stomper, and then Wild Hair and Carolina Crusher is your last pairing. Uh, you got to wonder. A Mad Dog's number one qualifier was John Breen, or excuse me, Bob Breen, number two. Could it have been a Breen one two here? Don't know. It's you know, unfortunately, we only get to see this one run here of mad dog and then the bad run of usa one so they don't really say who qualified where i think the way that tnt was set up at the time was the number one qualifier went against this like the top half of the second you know this top guy the second half of the bracket so what's our 10 trucks here so one would have went against number six and two against seven and so on but um I'm not sure how that all works out because we don't have a physical bracket with numbers to look at, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the shame about power tracks. They had a very limited budget, and if you couldn't tell just by looking at the actual graphic here of them introducing the trucks and introducing the pairings, I mean, there's not much of a graphic there. It's just the name over a qualifying pass. Yeah, I mean, it's the 80s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we're still, you know, getting things established here on the Renegade Tour. And, you know, it's good to see these trucks on TV at all. But the graphics package leaves a little bit to be desired as we would get into tough tracks the next year. Round number one here, Mad Dog and USA One. Lanes are the talk of town today, but no one seems to mention that John Breen, he's in a clear center-seated truck here. So it really doesn't matter which lane that he's in, even though he does take the favored lane over on the right side of the track. But in doing so, he kind of throws Rod Litzow in a lane that he ran the entire day the day before. So does that give Rod the advantage in this race? It appears so, because as we get through this corner here, we see Mad Dog the whole first half of the race, and John puts in a pretty nice turn, and we then zoom out to, or we switch cameras to what looks like maybe a, you know, I think you called it a drone shot, or, you know, probably something up on a big pedestal somewhere Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the track, and the two trucks are pretty much even as they come out of the corner. Yeah, they're pretty much even here, but maybe a slight lead to USA 1. As they come out of the corner, that's when USA 1's graphic is thrown up in the middle of the race to introduce the truck. I honestly, I hate the way that they shot this race and the way they introduced these trucks here, but that exit of the corner when they cut to what would be the equivalent today of a drone shot way up high above the speedway, that is a really awesome picture that you get to see of these trucks coming to the finish line. Yeah, I do like that shot for sure. It gives a good scale of the track itself, and it allows everybody to see how close this race is, even though it's kind of an end zone shot as we switch to the side camera here as as USA 1 crosses the finish line. It's a pretty close race. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's everything you would have expected it to be. Mad Dog USA 1 both kind of move towards the center of the track. Rod barely, and I mean absolutely barely, gets his left front tire on the second ramp right there, and that's what's going to push him to the victory here. USA 1 kind of gets it in the air over Mad Dog. Well, we're ready for our first round of competition. One of the uh, Breen brothers, John Breen, will be taking on the USA 1 of Rod Litzow, and they're off and rolling, Army. Okay, Breen goes to the left turn track. A lot of people think that's the way to go. However, he sits in the middle of the truck, so he doesn't have that much of an advantage. Meanwhile, the USA 1 Chevrolet of Litzow, not qualifying strong, but takes a win. Rod Litzow, normally a very fast qualifier on the circuit today he was not he did not have the lane choice as mad dog grabbed that we're going to talk to uh rod here in just a moment to see if the lanes really do make a difference in this competition great opening race right here and you would have expected that between these two trucks they're two of the top chevrolet trucks on the tour and chevrolet is a sponsor of the series and the tv show so you know none of the chevy fans are going home disappointed at this point they're getting to see their trucks go out there and do their thing yeah, and I get to point out, Mad Dog has a heck of a run here. He may not be done this night. There is fast losers on this evening. Uh, Litzow, he upsets the number one qualifier here, and as he crosses the finish line, you can kind of get a brief shot of Everett Jasmer down there uh, lifting his right arm up in the air. And he's, he's not hard to point out. He's the only guy on the front stretch with a cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah, Everett's looking pretty excited there for his truck to get the win here in round number one. Ron Lutzow with the USA 1 Chevrolet advances in the next round of elimination. Now, Ron, a few moments ago, you said you had some problem qualifying. You came out of the right lane. This time, you came out of the left lane. Is there definitely a lane choice difference? I do like this lane better. It seems a little easier for me to control a truck when I'm coming around this angle. Does uh, everything look good for the next round? Yep, real good. USA number 1 Chevrolet moving into the next round. We go back up with the action. 
Rod says he kind of likes the left lane better, easier for him to control the truck. And if you look at his qualifying pass, I kind of agree with him. He had just a really bad exit in that right lane over there. Kudos for him for trying it, but at least he went with what was comfortable to him and he stayed over there in that uh, left lane. Yeah, and both trucks, you know, work in kind of danger of getting DQ'd here. And it just happens that Rod's the one that comes out on top. They both kind of had a sloppy second half of the track in between the cars and over the second set. But they, uh, you know, the winner moves on and they don't really ask you how you won as long as you won. So uh, Rod takes the win here in round number one. And we move to the next race, which we've got our guy out of Mississippi in Casper going up against Rich Hoosier and Bigfoot. Yep, and the interesting major thing to point out here is Bigfoot might have had problems in qualifying. Bigfoot is over in the left lane for the first time the entire weekend, and Casper has the favored right lane right here. So it'll be interesting to see how Rich Hoosier responds. He's kind of got a little bit of adversity now to pile out of as he's over in a lane that he really doesn't want to be in. For sure, it's a little bit foreign to Rich, I'm sure, because he spent the whole previous night over in that right-hand lane making the left-hand turn. So... uh, I think that Rich does a pretty good job with it, and we see both trucks moving at the same time. And the big thing here, I think, is that it seems that they've evened the lanes out versus the previous night because both trucks are moving the same speed. They enter the corner the same way, and they come out dead even this time. Yeah, Bigfoot and Casper dead even coming down this straightaway right here. Bigfoot pulls ahead after hitting the final set of cars, but Casper is like, like, like a bucking Bronco in the other lane, and Dale Harris is giving it absolutely everything he's got. The rear end of the truck actually slaps down pretty hard on the jump for the second set of cars, causing him to get some massive air. Both trucks really get some massive air right here, and it really doesn't hurt Dale Harris. Um, I got to tell you, though, that finish, that was an incredible race. That's easily the race of the night. We're only two races in. Uh, they actually get together at the end of the track. They actually, they almost go into the wall at the finish line as well. I mean, just an incredible race between these two guys right here with Rich Hoosier, and I mean barely just squeaking out a win on Casper. Talking about the next round, this ought to be a classic battle here. Dell Harris out of Pearl, Mississippi. And the little Casper machine, he takes on the ultimate monster truck. Rich Hoosier and Bigfoot, they're off and running, Army. Hoosier looks good. Harris, he's into this thing awfully good himself. Harris has the lane advantage. He's running the lane that Hoosier wants, but Hoosier gets to the jump. However, it's close, Richard. Back to you. We can't tell from our angle. And coming across the finish line first is Bigfoot and Rich Hoosier grabbing another win on this Renegades TNT Monster Truck Challenge circuit. Dale Harris putting on a whale of a show, and don't be surprised if he does not come back for more competition. Some of the fans enjoying this. It is the race of the night, and Casper actually does get into the wall there on the infield in the Toledo Speedway. So, I mean, there's a pretty short shutdown area, and we didn't really see much of how short that area was in the week prior because there weren't that many close races. And you've got two guys that are going for it here to the finish line wide open. They ran out of space in a hurry. They get into each other, and if you look real close, right when that contact is made, you see Dale Harris's head kind of smash over into the passenger side compartment of the of the truck there he almost hit like the side dash with his helmet i mean they were getting all kinds of thrown around inside of those trucks at that finish line yeah i mean that was a wild race you could tell the crowd reacted very well to that race right there uh yesterday's bracket we saw the opening pairs take wins out of the right lane and honestly not very easy i mean very easy fashion i'll put it that way Uh, Here, both races have been incredibly tight. TNT has done something to this track to really wake it up. Uh, We cut to a uh, Richard Leake quote, some fans are really enjoying this as we get a close-up of a very disinterested-looking blonde. (laughs) Yeah, she looks like she could care less. Yeah, I can't believe you'd show that after that race. I mean, I know it's the 80s, but come on. You could have you could have pat it, piped in there to a kid that's just pointing out there or something. Now we got a very disinterested-looking blonde just kind of like, oh, cool, (laughs) monster trucks, yay. Matt, we go into the next race right here. We got the registered boat, no problem, taking on the high horsepower, very lightweight King Crunch machine. Yeah, and I'm interested to see how this one pans out because King Crunch has been having stability issues all weekend long, bouncing all over the place, whereas John Moore, no problem. He's just kind of trying to get through the track and maybe steal one away from somebody. Exactly. John Moore is just running the race to run the race. He's getting his point A to point B passed down perfectly. Scott Stevens is running, trying to be as fast as he possibly can here. And honestly, on the concrete, 
that's exactly what he is from point A to point B on the concrete. And then the transition to the jump, that truck is probably one of the fastest out there. But when he hits the jump and lands, that's where the absolute zero suspension comes in that this truck has. And I got to tell you, it's just like the day before with Carolina Crusher here in this race. He kind of bounces all over the place. It seems like he has nowhere to go. He's, he's trying to hit the jump. He finally does hit the final jump. And by that point, John Moore's caught up to him. He does, and it's almost like he came to a complete stop on top of the second set of cars, trying to make sure that he was going to get both front tires up. Kudos to Scott for being aware of the rules and trying to keep the truck on track but man it almost cost him and i feel it's like one of those situations where he wasn't quite pushing the truck hard enough if he wouldn't have been bouncing so much off the cars because he you know just kind of drove over them slowly if he could have cleared some of them cars gotten you know one good bounce off maybe it would have worked better for him keeping the power to the ground but he just barely ekes out the win here over a, a strong come from behind from the no problem truck it is John Moore out of Lafayette, Tennessee, against the Badlands, Woodlands, Texas driver, Scott Stevens and King Crunch. This ought to be a good showdown also. Chevrolet Ford battle. They're lined up side by side. Chevrolet will be making a left turn. Ford will be making a right turn. Let's see what's going to happen, Richard. Going into the infield, Chevrolet had the initial jump. But he looks like he's having a little bit of a problem. The course screen crunch slows down. The four's trying to come back on him, Richard. The finish line judge will have to give us a winner. Well, it's not really the first truck that goes over all the jump cars. You see the white poles about midway down through the second set of jump cars. That's the finish line. And King Crunch and Scott Stevens took it first. He will move on. Scott Stevens moving on as no problem will return to the pits. Yeah, very true here. Uh, I mean, just kind of... BS and before we talked about this race I had mentioned the fact that Scott Stevens if you threw a pair of dice out there and one went straight that would be John Moore and then you'd have that other dice that's just bouncing all over the place and doesn't seem to want to settle on a number that was King Crunch in the other lane he finally settles on the number and he does get the win but it's by the slimmest of margins right here and they've got to figure out something for between no man's land with that truck it's not agreeing with them at all on the King Crunch side of bracket. Yeah you know he's going to have some work to do to get that truck settled down for round number two as we've got what I think is is one of the more interesting matchups of round number one. We've got the Stomper, number two Chevrolet against Leadfoot. Yep, the uh, Stomper machine is going to be in the left lane, and Leadfoot's going to be over in the right. Uh, what I what I didn't like here, and I normally love these kind of shots. It's the shot of the the lights going from red to green. However, when they cut back to the truck, Stomper's already a truck length off the starting line. I think that works better when you have the truck in angle with the starting with the uh, the starting lights, and you can kind of see it. Here, it kind of left it a little bit flat for me, but Stomper goes take, taking a wide corner, I might add. Uh, he actually take, takes the corner, goes all the way out, and has to turn back in to get centered for the first jump, where Leadfoot takes the turn a bit too tight and actually goes towards uh, towards where he started, really, on the right side of the track. He turns like he's going to go right back towards the starting line, uh, turning just awkwardly, really. I mean, that's the best way to put it. Both trucks are out of shape. Yeah, I mean, Marvin Smith kind of gets a lucky break here that Leadfoot kind of goes a little off track because, like you said, he was plowing through that corner, is able to get it gathered up. Ron Dennis in the other lane, unfortunately, having even more trouble. He kind of gets himself shut down, and when he restarts, you see him kind of drive over some of the quad racing jumps, and as he's kind of hanging out the window, getting all kind of bounced around in the Leadfoot Chevrolet. Yep, Stomper's going to win this race officially by a disqualification, but honestly, he was first across the finish line right here. Stomper actually has probably the best pass that it's had really the entire weekend. In our next battle, once again, one we've been looking forward to, Ron Dennis out of Arizona with Leadfoot taking on starving Marvin Smith out of Arnold, Missouri. He's in the Stomper Chevrolet. Chevrolet's a pair lining up. One out of Arizona, one out of Missouri. Missouri truck will be making a right turn. That'll be starving Marvin Smith. Looks good trying to get to the infield. The Arizona truck running a good race with him. Both of them hit the car simultaneously, but it looks like the Arizona truck's in trouble, Richard. Leadfoot is off the course. That's going to bring a disqualification for him and a win for Marvin Smith and Stomper, too. Yeah, I mean, other than pushing a little bit wide in that corner, it's not a bad run for Marvin. And they kind of focus in here on Leadfoot and Ron trying to figure out what's going on here after the race. As you can see, he's got the belts off, and you know, Stomper's going to take the win, and... 
they kind of head back to the pits and the army starts talking about the rules here and i'll pipe in the audio here i find it interesting uh most important rule being get both front tires on the jumps and we've seen that in the last two races especially with king crunch uh renegades tnt people have set rules about running the courses explain those briefly to us the number one rule of number one you cannot cut the course in any way shape or form there isn't out of bounds left and right but the rule that all the drivers really keep an eye on is the fact that whatever you're going over both front tires must make contact with it you have to hit what you're jumping over the top of richard Oh, for sure. And like we said, Scott was making sure that he got those two front tires up because we've seen trucks in the previous night of racing got disqualified for, you know, not hitting those correctly. Wild hair and Carolina crusher here to round out our round number one competition. Breen's over in that right lane and Porter's over in the left Uh, into the corner here. Breen has the advantage on Porter, but Porter pulls through the corner on exit and pretty much leaves the R and D truck in the dust at that point. Uh, However, Horsepower-wise, it was a huge mismatch right here. I kind of expected Bob to get through the corner a little bit quicker, but once Gary could kind of settle in on that horsepower down the straightaway, there was no stop in the Carolina Crusher machine. Between Bob Breen and Wild Hair and Gary Porter out of Carolina in the Carolina Crusher machine. Porter out of North Carolina definitely one of the strong up-and-comers. A young independent driver learning the hard way, doing awfully good. Use a Chevrolet for horsepower. He'll be making a right turn, making the left turn in the course that we feel might be the better course as the research and development vehicle of the Breen Boys Racing Team out of Missouri. Both trucks off and running. About an even start. Breen, we're watching the end. He gets a good cut. Now, Breen trying to figure the quick way in. He makes initial contact first, but look at the Carolina Crusher, Richard. Here comes Gary Porter with a late surge of power. He takes the win, moves on into the quarterfinal round of competition. He did, and you know Bob cut a nice tight corner, but kind of like what happened with USA 1, I think he got himself a little bit out of sorts of where to go when he came out of the corner because he comes out kind of inside, he wavers to the outside and then almost comes to a stop as he gets up on the cars. And by that point, Gary's passed him and gone. Yeah. And one thing to point out here is they do mention Bob Breen qualified well, both Breen's qualified well. So it makes you wonder, they don't really necessarily say it, but I, I honestly think that the Breen trucks were number one and two in qualifying for this. That very well could be, um, you know, we don't have the, that data, unfortunately. So if anybody was there, in Toledo. First, sorry that you live in Ohio. And second of all, can you give us some qualifying numbers? I know, just completely trashed the state of Ohio. My goodness. <laughs> it was it was trashed long before I got involved. Uh, you, you got a point there. I mean, the Browns do play there. I just triggered an entire NFL franchise. Thank you. USA 1 and Casper, your first matchup here in round number one. Casper, your fast loser is going to be in the right lane. And USA 1 still sticking over there to that left lane. With a strong competitor like Casper, though, you got to wonder, could this have been a mistake for Litzau? Well, we'll have to watch and find out. You know, they've already got Mad Dog tired up and on the trailer here. You can see as they show this shot of Casper, uh, you know, going out early. I guess they decided to pack it in and get get uh, ready to go to the next show, the Breen Boys. But, uh, you know, as we've still got the action here on the track, Litzau looks like he gets a really good start and heads into the corner. Yeah, Litzau's got the whole shot here. He holds the lead around the corner. USA 1 has the better run over the first set of cars, but he has to pedal it in no man's land, much like King Crunch has most of this, most of these last couple of days out here on this track. And that is where Casper starts to come on strong, and this race is tight to the line, but USA 1 still manages to maintain the lead and win. Had the finish line been at the end of the cars, like most events, Casper would have won this race. You know, Litzau started off a couple of weeks late on the tour, but he's right at the top of the pile battling for Bigfoot for this first-ever national championship crown in the Monster Truck Series. Running under the colors of True Value Hardware Master Mechanic and the Chevrolet combination, he'll be making a right turn, but Harris out of Mississippi, one of the crowd favorites, a born-again Christian doing a super job. He'll be making a left turn. Coming off the starting line looks good, Richard. Well, the thing about Rod Litzau to watch for, he loves exerting that power down the straightaway. Let's watch and see how it happens this time. Chevrolet half-track, but keep an eye on Casper. He's coming back after him. I don't know who won it. We're coming back topside to you, Richard. Well, it's official up here. It was Rod Litzau hitting that finish line first. USA 1, Chevrolet, the winner, moves to the semifinals. 
it's a great race and Casper kind of cleared the ramp for the second set of cars with the front tires let him carry a ton of speed nice and low over that second set and make up time and man Rod just barely barely squeaks out the win two very tough close losses for that Casper truck on the night yeah and think of the trucks that he just lost to as well this just kind of shows you how strong this Casper truck actually was Lost to Bigfoot in round number one by inches. Loses to USA one, number two truck in points by inches in round number two as a fast loser. And with a run like he just had, he could end up being the fast loser into the semifinals as well. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and we see the Casper truck. You know, Dale still putting on a show as he heads back to the pits, even though he's not the winner. We get some questions about tires, rear steering, and how it's mandatory right here. Uh, I'll pipe in the uh, the interview here with Rich Hoosier, but the one quote that really st- sticks out in my mind is, we would need the whole half mile to make the turn if we did not have rear steering. And that's the case for a lot of the trucks out here. But they, what gets me is, is they fail to mention that Mad Dog really wasn't using that, and they were using that independent brake on each tire. And you know, Army, in our many travels across the country, we get asked a lot of questions about these monster trucks. One of the biggest questions has, is about the tires they run. The tires that they run on these monster trucks actually start life, Richard, on heavy earth-moving equipment. Throughout the United States, as you travel the highways and byways, you see the big equipment. This is where the tires come from. 66-inch tall tires, that's what the rules say they got to run. Dale Harris, who just made a super run, shows why he's one of the crowd favorites. And another interesting thing about the tires you were speaking of, they only run four to six pounds of air pressure, and the tire itself actually helped to absorb some of the blow. Well, you know, Army, another fascinating thing about these vehicles, besides front-wheel steering, they are also rear-wheel steered. You know, this is the only motorsport that we know of where the rear steering is mandatory. If you're going to be competitive, you've got to steer with the rear wheels also, Richard. Well, earlier today, Army spent some time with your current national points leader, Rich Hoosier and Bigfoot, and they spoke about the rear-wheel steering. Monster trucks are so big in order to compete, they must have rear steering. Rich Hoosier, the driver of Bigfoot. Rich, exactly, what is the rear steering concept? Well, with the concept of having the rear steering enables us to take these bigger trucks with the bigger tires to make a tighter turn. Uh, say, for instance, this track we're at today, we'd need this whole half-mile track if we didn't have rear steering. So for the obstacle course that we're working on today, to go down a straight course and then make a turn to come back over the cars, we need the rear steering to make that turn. Okay, the average passenger vehicle, you steer the front wheels with a steering wheel. How do you operate the rear steer? Well, with Bigfoot here, we uh, operate the front with the steering wheel like a normal vehicle. And we have a uh, spring-loaded toggle switch on the door, which is electric over hydraulic, that operates the rear with the cylinders, the hydraulic cylinders. How do you know where the rear wheels are? That's pretty much a guesswork. You can feel it by driving in the truck, knowing when you're straight and to know when you're going straight. Or I can look out my mirror, and I can pretty much line up the uh, tire with the uh, bed of the truck. Rich, it seems like a tremendous amount of dexterity is required in order to drive the vehicle. You're working the steering wheel on the front. You're working the hydraulics on the rear. How do you know what to work? Coordination. It takes a lot of coordination to get it to come around a corner, steering this one this way and this one this way, and then try to straighten them all back up so you can get be lined up for them cars. So getting that rear wheel back in line is very, very important. We notice on the starting line, a lot of the drivers are looking to the rear, making sure that those wheels are going to track. That's what they're trying to do, is actually get the rear into track with the front, and then they start the steer. Right, because if you take off with the, your rear steering turned a little too much, uh, if you got a lot of horsepower, you could take a chance of breaking an axle. Yeah, they were kind of the outlier in terms of the way they had the trucks set up. Uh, with the you know left and right rear brakes to help John turn that truck, and then the lead foot truck. As I was watching, you know, before we started recording here, it looks like Ron Dennis was just kind of using front steer only. But you know, in most U-turn courses, you do have to have that rear steer to make a nice tight turn. But with this nice, more of a flowing turn here in Toledo, it's not quite a hundred percent necessary. I do notice, though, even USA One is using the rear steer, which, you know, they usually ran a straight axle whenever they could in that rear. So, uh, you know, probably, a, what, 75% of the trucks in the field anyway using the rear steer in this instance. Yeah, exactly. Bigfoot and King Crunch is your next matchup right here. King Crunch in the right lane, Bigfoot over in the left again. I mean, Scott Stevens has every advantage he needs right here. He's got the good lane. He's got the easiest, probably the easiest run to the cars, but I just can't trust his suspension in this race against Bigfoot. Uh, he's got, you know, suspension trouble, whereas Hoosier's got one of the best suspensions on the tour. And if we watch how these trucks are lined up, it doesn't seem like 
they're quite lined up even from the side shot. It looks like Bigfoot's about 10 foot further ahead. I'm not sure if maybe that was part of them trying to even out the lanes a little bit from the night before, or if there was a mistake made here, but that's just something I'm noticing watching this race is that those starting lines don't seem quite even. Yeah, I noticed that too. I, I couldn't quite picture that one out. Uh, it, it didn't make much sense to me, but I mean, we go through the corner right here. Stevens, he still has a little bit of a lead, but again, the cars bite him. And this time he spins completely sideways, much like he did the night before against Carolina Crusher. This time though, it's over the first set of cars and he doesn't really get into Bigfoot's lane, but he does disqualify himself by getting the front tires completely out of his lane, uh, crossing what would be the imaginary center line right there. Uh, Hoosier's going to just cruise right on to victory, though. We're going to find out if uh, Rich Hoosier has got that coordination tonight because he's taking on the Coors Crunch machine, the King Crunch, uh, Scott Stevens. And uh, as Rich said, it takes not only driving skill and power of the monster, but it takes a lot of coordination between the two. You know, another thing we talked to Rich Hoosier about a little bit earlier was lane choice, and he said he does not like to make this particular turn he's going to have to make. He'll be turning to his right. The Chevrolet out of the Lone Star State is going to be making a left turn. We're coming back topside with Richard with all the action. All right, they hit the turns about the same time, but it's going to be the Badlands Woodlands, Texas driver, Scott Stevens over first, but here comes Bigfoot. Rich Hoosier's going to take the win again. Bigfoot moves to the semifinals, while King Crunch, the course machine of Scott Stevens, heads back to the Lone Star State, slowly coming over those final set of Crunch vehicles. A great race. What Scott got bit by here was his rear steering. As he comes out of the turn and up over the first set of cars, the rear steering kicks to the right, and he can't you know, get it back under control in time, and Rehuser just goes right on by for the win. Yeah, his rear steering kicks right here. I'm not sure if it was a, a malfunction in the steering, because the way it looks, it just looks like it just completely goes full throw to that side. That's something yeah. I don't think he would be doing in cab. I don't think he did it intentionally. Maybe he bumped the switch. Something may have went wrong, but he does get it straightened out and backs up and finishes the rest of the course, but it's all way too late at that point. Bigfoot's your winner. Exactly. We go into uh, the Rich Hoosier interview right here. Rich always has positive things to say, but then we come into our final race of round number two, Carolina Crusher and Stomper. A good race. You've got two of the yellow 88 Chevrolet trucks. Well, one's a 72 still at this point, but two good Chevrolet trucks that are yellow <laughs> anyway. And uh, Stomper looking pretty good. One of his better runs of the year, you know, in terms of this entire event. And Gary Porter, he's just Mr. Consistency, as we always say. Always you know, smooth as silk with Gary Porter. Yeah, the second half of the race is where Marvin really falls apart here, kind of gets out of shape off the first set of cars, and, and Gary ends up taking the win. And, you know, we've got an interesting situation in terms of how these trucks are judged on the race. Carolina Crusher, Gary Porter against starving Marvin Smith and the Stomper Chevrolet. Now, Porter is exactly where he wants to be, Richard. He wanted to qualify or run and get an eliminations in advance to where he would get lane choice. He has chosen the left turn lane, pushing Marvin Smith and the Stomper Chevrolet Heartbeat of America over in that right turn lane. They're off and running. It's a good side-by-side -side shot. Let's keep an eye on them. Both of them going in the infield about the same time, Richard. Back topside to you. It is Gary Porter with a slight advantage right now. Whoa, wait a minute. Stomper out of the course. That is a prime example as Porter crosses the finish line of how a driver does not coordinate the rear wheels with the front wheels. Yeah, I mean... Each truck here has difficulty. Stomper is the first really to get disqualified. Marvin gets out of shape. The steering just doesn't seem, it just kind of seems to be doing whatever it wants after that first set of cars. But if you watch Porter coming across the line, he actually misses the final jump with one of the front tires. So it makes you wonder how the, how they judge that race. Was it the first truck that got disqualified was technically the one that was disqualified for the, the race or did they both DQ and they just went to the fact that Porter got across the line first? Um, I'm going to say that it's probably the whole worst or first rule. So um, if Stomper went out first, that would probably hand the win to uh, Carolina Crusher, regardless of what happened. But, you know, I don't have a competition rule book for TNT here with me, but uh, yeah, I'm guessing that's, I'm guessing that's how they, they viewed things. And, uh, you know, Marvin does back up and finish the run, but it's not enough. They, they give the win to uh, Gary Porter here going into the next round. I want to say, and I'm going to skip ahead here quite a bit, but I want to say in the Penda days, if both trucks DQ'd, both trucks were thrown out. 
Yeah, I think they made a rule sometime around 92 where if you're DQ'd, you're done regardless if it was in a buy run or not because Andy Brass had a buy run, I think, in Sedalia, and steering went away on the truck. He ended up crossing center line, got DQ'd on his own, you know, before the finish line, and he was thrown out of the race. I mean, that was it, disqualified, regardless of whether you were running by yourself or not. You don't get an automatic advance. You still have to make a clean run. So at least at that point, they had a rule in place. But I think at that point in the MTRA rule book, you know, that was the first time that had happened on a buy run. So we've uh, there's a little different situation here. We got two yeah, trucks. A little bit different you. situation. It just it kind of reminded me of that rule, and I wanted to make it out that yeah, that that rule mm-hmm. did exist. Yeah. Uh, USA one, we find out actually has a broken rotor on the truck. We see a bunch of crews back there trying to get USA one back ready to compete. We kind of go to a commercial and we come back all of a sudden it goes from dusk to just completely night nighttime conditions out here on the track. Yeah, it gets really dark and it doesn't look like there's like, you know, wet surfaces or anything here. So I don't think there was any kind of like rain delay or anything. I mean, they sure that they had quad racing here as a side act, but compared to the previous night's action, it looks like we're a lot later in the night. I'm not really sure why. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost pitch black, especially on the favored side of the track. I'll point that out again here in a little bit. Uh, USA one and Bigfoot, your first pair here in the semifinals. Like I said earlier, when they qualified, they were on the same side of the bracket. It was a potential that they could meet up here in the semifinals. And here it is. This is number one and two in points and a chance for one of them to gain and another one to gain even more, uh, between these trucks right here. USA one had not made it back out though. It was going to be King crunch that actually took this spot. USA one gets to come back out and we get that classic Ford and Chevy rivalry after the rotor is fixed. It's a matchup everybody wants to see. Bigfoot versus USA 1, Ford, Chevy, number one and two in points. And, you know, they faced off in the finals last week, and this time it's going to be in the semis. Yep, right here. USA 1's got the left lane. Bigfoot's got the right. We get a fantastic race between these two trucks. Bigfoot maybe has it worse here, has its worst run here in the right lane the entire weekend. Foot was first through the corner, but really had to pedal the truck to keep it straight between the set of cars. That's where Rod Litzow kind of gains and comes back on him. But the comeback is kind of put short when Bigfoot kind of hits that center jump or hits that second jump and just skies to victory. Rod Litzow has broken a rotor and the crews have been down there working on it, trying to get it fixed. Now, Ever Jasmer, the truck owner, they've been thrashing back in the pit area. When he fired the engine, it boomed on him real loud. We thought he lifted a supercharger, but it wasn't. It was something in the electrical system. We understand a distributor cap. They did get it back together. They will be in competition, Richard. Well, you know, just like a lot of uh, race fans watch the uh, NASCAR stock car races each and every week, they see how fast those crew members work on cars. These guys have to be pretty fast and good mechanics themselves to get these vehicles ready in between each race. You know, everybody does have a time limit. They're aware of it. They have the problem scott stevens was ready to come out had the usa one not been able to make the call but he did make the call he's here we're right back with another war and look who he goes up against this time richard well it's going to be bigfoot your current national leader with rich hoosier taking on that gentleman right there rob Litzow, usa one who has made a tremendous surge in the point standings he as a matter of fact don't be surprised if he keeps running the way he has been of late of overtaking Rich Hoosier for the national title before it's all over, said, and done this year. You know, I know all the Chevrolet people around the country are pulling for exactly that, but right now the work's cut out for him. The man he's got to beat for the national championship, he's got to beat him right now to pull in on a points chase. Well, this is the classic setup also. Your Ford fans against your Chevrolet fans, Rich Hoosier and Rod Litzow. The fans are ready, the trucks are lined up, and we're going to go racing here in just a moment as darkness starts to fall here in Toledo, Ohio. They are off and running. And let's sit back and just enjoy this classic battle, Ford against Chevy. Both trucks exactly where they want to be. The Ford got the jump on the infield. They know the Ford hangs on for a win. But believe me, the heartbeat of America, USA 1 Chevrolet was breathing down Rich Hoosier's neck. Yeah, the two trucks are running real close here. USA 1's leaned way over in the corner. And Rod does make up some time, but just not quite enough. And it's amazing to see, comparatively, 1988 versus the next year, how slow the trucks are going through these courses. And it's partly the ramps and partly the truck design. And, you know, there's a lot of factors at play here. But the following year, they're blazing through these types of obstacles. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing we kind of see here during this race is Bigfoot kind of bounces to the left, and then the camera cuts away, and we don't really see what happens to USA 1. But when Rod hits the final jump here coming to the line, it makes you wonder if he didn't have a little bit of trouble in No Man's Land as well. Uh, Bigfoot kind of opened, opened the door and gave uh, a chance to USA 1 right there. It just wasn't meant to be by the time they got to the cars. Rod doesn't look quite straight when he hits the jump, so I wonder if he had a little bit of an issue as well. Uh, very well could be. You know, the editing is a little bit interesting on these shows. It leaves a little bit to be desired in terms of not getting to see the whole action. So we'll have to uh, just take our best guess. Uh, we get an uh, interesting bit here about the electronic kill box. This is before the RII, as they would say. This is just a big kill box that they would put into the trucks. Uh, it's an interesting little feature here on these kill boxes too, Matt. I'm going to play the audio right here. Uh, I'm kind of glad, though, that we did eventually go to the RII system that we have, and we didn't keep these around. The TNT officials have developed some safety features to put in these vehicles for driver protection. Here's a feature with Army. As the monster trucks travel across the country, safety is a very important part of it. Now they're really leaning on equipment. They're flipping, they're flying, they're rolling end over end. Safety, something that the TNT Motorsports people are always trying to improve on. Right here is the latest in safety equipment. It's an electronic kill box. The kill box is mounted in each truck prior to the run. Side-by-side -side competition, you have different boxes on different frequencies. Right here is a monitor that a track official is responsible to operate in case of an upset or a runaway truck. This is a last-ditch safety effort to stop the vehicle in case a runaway should occur. The track official that operates it must be aware of one thing. A lot of times in this sport, the monster truck actually needs all the horsepower he can have when he gets himself into trouble. He needs the horsepower to actually pull out of a jam. So the safety kill switch, very responsible position, as the track crew is responsible to stop that vehicle instantly with the flick of a switch, should he be out of control. So as we come out of this interview here, you know, talking about these killer boxes as they're calling them, I mean, these are the first generation remote ignition interrupters, and we kind of see John Moore in the no problem truck. I'm not really sure if they hit the button on them because it sounds like the yeah, truck. It still... sounds like they didn't hit the button. Honestly. You know, it, it's a good demonstration anyway, and Army's explaining how it works. But I mean, these are the first generation remote ignition interrupters that are used under MTRA rules. And I'm not sure if every truck at this point had to run them or not. I think maybe they did. I know in 89 they did, but I'm not sure uh, how it was in 88 yet. And Bigfoot obviously had been using them on their own. Outside of even the TNT points races, they kind of ran them everywhere as a, as a safety feature. So an interesting you know thing to see. We're big RII proponents here on the Retro Monster Truck Review, and it's good to see even this early on that the system was getting you know covered and exposed on TV for how good of an innovation it really was. Yeah, one thing to point out, too, is you mentioned Bigfoot was doing it on their own. Uh, kind of the drawback at this time, at least I have been told this, is a lot of people really didn't want to run them unless that they had somebody that was there with them running the kill switch for themselves because they didn't really trust officials back then to do so. Nowadays, officials are the ones that run it no matter what. Back then, there was kind of a little bit of a discrepancy right there, so I think that's why the rule got mandated in 89. Yeah, you know, it's these guys are running for money and, and for purse, and they don't want to have an issue that could put them out unjustly, you know, the, in terms of the way that they felt, but safety is paramount and you know it's safety first not safety third exactly carolina crusher and casper casper fast loser yet again here matt can you believe it casper has not won a race this entire night but here he is in the semifinals against carolina crusher kind of playing the gravedigger card honestly here for dale harris He is Casper. He's the ghost and he won't die. He keeps coming <laughs> back. And boy, he, he puts in a really good run here against the Carolina Crusher. As you see, he comes across shown as the apparent winner. Yeah, and that's uh, something that jumps right out at you, though. Apparent winner. Uh, Harris has a preferred lane, according to the broadcasters, but clips the turn tire on the exit of the turn. He actually did gain quite a bit of an advantage. If you watch this race back, he cut in and just flat ran over that turn tire while Carolina Crusher runs and makes a smooth pass. Dale Harris, he stands on it here. I got to give him credit. He, he may not have known he was disqualified because he really pushed it over that second set of cars. He wanted to get to the final. Unfortunately, he hits that tire and it costs him the race. 
It really does. And what's at least we get a good interview here with Dale Harris. Uh, we don't get to see him, you know, talking on TV a whole lot. So it was good that Army got to interview him as he would have been the apparent winner going into the finals. But he's DQ'd. And on top of that, we've got breakage on the truck that puts him out anyway. I'm an All-American story here. This kid out of Mississippi, Dale Harris, with the Casper truck fighting from the bottom of the pile to get in the final of this thing. You are really leaning on some equipment out there tonight, Dale. Yes, it's costing me greatly over on equipment and everything else. The truck is real durable. But competition here at TNT Motorsports, you can't find any rougher competition. All these boys are number one. Ain't, it? ain't none of them any slouch. Yeah, he wasn't going to make it back anyway. It appears the drive shaft failure is really what's going to cost him right here. Uh, it was announced after his interview that he was DQ'd, and, and Gary Porter is going to come back, and we're going to have a Bigfoot Carolina Crusher final. A good final on paper as we go to the championship round. We go to commercial, and we come back. The trucks are staging. Who knows how late it is? It's July, and it's really, really dark outside, so they're yeah, running the, pretty late into the night here. Yeah, and the thing to point out here is, yes, they are running really late into the night, but just by looking at some of this, I mean, it's old footage. Don't get me wrong. We're running probably 280p watching this on uh, – on youtube as we watch this back here but that right lane just it's no longer the lane to be in as far as i'm concerned at this point because there is not much light going into that corner so the advantage of that lane was the fact that you could see exactly where you needed to turn in at and i don't think you can see that over there anymore there's not much light over there whereas hoosier side there's plenty of light coming out of that turn bouncers make notice that hoosier really doesn't like the lane that he's in although like i just stated he's probably really happy he's not in that other side because you really you can't see it's dark over there it really is you know bigfoot's got the visibility advantage now and he uses that to his advantage because richard puts in a pretty good run here in the final oh, yeah. with a nice smooth turn you know they come out of the corner just about even but you could see the light difference over that set of cars i don't know if that really played into gary's driving too much or not but you could see he just doesn't have the speed over the cars yeah and bigfoot has had the speed over the cars this entire night easily the best run that rich hoosier has made in that left lane of the track and i gotta tell you bigfoot winning here i mean just an incredible win for bigfoot the weekend sweep this helps them out in the points tremendously uh, and with the way that the 1988 championship was going to be determined this was a race that was almost probably a must win for them with usa one being so tight to them the entire weekend bigfoot and carolina crusher they're off and running whole shot side by side they leave the starting line it looks like hoosier may dive in the infield first he does he'll approach the first jump However, don't count the crusher out. Hoosier not backing off. An awesome shot. Almost Whoa. noses it over, Richard. Rich Hoosier goes almost up and over on his nose, but he claims the championship in Toledo. Rich Hoosier with a tremendous surge of power crosses the finish line as he has done so many times this year. He pads more points to that national championship chase that he's got going right now. Rich Hoosier is your winner. Let's go trackside with Army Armstrong and the champion. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Hoosier puts Bigfoot in the winner's circle again. Congratulations, Rich. Thanks, Army. It was tough out there. Uh, Gary Porter with Carolina Crush is one of our toughest competitions these days, and from what I hear, it was a very close race. Yeah, it was. We were watching. When you went over that last jump, we actually thought you were going to get into the barrier on the end of the track. Were you aware you were that close to it and you had that much ground speed? Yeah, it was. What happened when I hit that set of cars, um, it threw me a little crooked and it made me give a nosedive. When it did like that, my first instinct is to give it some power to pull out so I could come down straight. I knew how much room I had, and I knew I had enough room to stop, but I didn't want to end up on my roof. Ladies and gentlemen, Bigfoot's done tonight what he's done so many times all over the country. He's your current national points leader. He takes another win for the Ford camp. These are big wins. You know, we're getting into the middle part of the season here in July. They've been running a number of weeks, and after this, it looks like they're going to head... Uh, where they heading next to Flint, Michigan, which was an untelevised show. And then the following weekend, Charleston, West Virginia at Laidley Field. They did two shows there, which was broadcast on power tracks. So the point series is pretty much every weekend throughout the summer here. The guys are running hard, going out for the Renegade points. And, you know, there's a lot of racing yet to go in the season. But Bigfoot's got the upper hand right now as we approach the midway point. Yep, that's very true. Uh, Richard Leake actually has a nice little line right here. Uh, it not only takes power, it takes coordination to run these tracks across the country. A good line to go out on here by Richard Leake. Uh, we didn't rate, we purposely waited until this week to kind of rate both episodes that we have right here. Uh, we're, we're really limited as far as power tracks goes. This is a very 
just kind of here it is kind of promotion of an event, an event right here. We just see mainly the action. We get a couple of interviews here and there, but the graphic, we don't really don't even want to rate the graphics because they're just non-existent. Really, the more you see more <laughs> graphics on the trucks than you do the actual graphics here on power tracks. As far as announcing goes, Army Armstrong is always a 10 in my book. Richard Leake, maybe not the best monster truck announcer of all time, but him and Army really do bounce well off of each other, especially this show. I thought they did really good on both these episodes. I'm, I'm not a fan of Dick Leake myself. Uh, just, I would not have guessed. He puts he puts a little bit of, you know, not enough excitement into it for me. Kind of it seems forced on his side, you know, on the broadcast, whereas Army is a lot more natural. You know, my rating for the overall, you know, combination of these two shows, I'm probably going to hold it to about a a five out of ten. The racing's okay. Round uh, night one was a little bit scarce on excitement. Had one good race with some contact, and then there's a lot of better racing the second night. But the production of Power Tracks itself just wasn't that great for me. And granted, you know they're they're figuring out how to do this as a Monster Truck Point series, and I'm trying to take that into consideration. But it's just not a show that I go back and watch on my own on purpose for entertainment value. So I'm, I'm going to give the whole thing a five out of 10. I agree with you on the five out of 10 here. Uh, like I said, that's basically my ratings are always a combination of the actual racing itself and the broadcasting ability. Now, like I said, Army Armstrong is always a 10, but I do kind of feel the same thing that you feel as far as some of the Richard Leak calls do sound forced. Like he's calling it back in a studio, which he obviously was It's not. I mean, back then trying to call something like this, you really only got one shot to call it. You're not going to go back and do it again kind of thing with the editing that they were doing for these episodes. Um, like I said, I stick to five out of 10 because the day one racing here, you pretty much knew who was going to win from the start day two. There is a big question mark there immediately out of round number one. We got a different number one qualifier. We've got a Bigfoot being thrown in a different lane. We've got USA one kind of trying out different lanes here. It's a completely different race in day two than it is day one. It is. I mean, it is more entertaining. There's a lot closer racing, but for me, the broadcast kind of puts a damper on some of that, unfortunately. Had this been a show that had the full Tough Tracks treatment, I think night two would have been amazing to see in that kind of a production with all the graphics and the excitement and the Monster Smash final song. Let's not forget about that. That that makes it an easy two-point bonus right off the bat. Ladies and gentlemen, we are looking for a new co-host, by the way, on the uh, retro. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Never was a fan of that song. But anyway, though, like I said, day two, probably the one to watch out of both of these, unless you want to go back and watch the race, uh, King Crunch and Carolina Crusher from day one, which is really the race that honestly people remember the most from this entire weekend. It's the one that ended up in a lot of the highlight reels. But man, day two, some good racing. I really enjoyed watching the racing in day two. Maybe not the broadcast itself so much. There's a lot of really questionable editing out there. But like I said, we both rated a five out of 10. I still enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It's different. It's something that TNT was not broadcasting on television other than the Houston Astrodome. So honestly, I think it's one of the, one of the better shows of 88 day two. Uh, I don't know about day one. Day one can kind of be thrown in there with a bunch of the rest of them, but Day two is probably one of the better shows at 88. And if you get a chance to go watch it, go watch it. Until then, we'll see you guys again out there on those big, long tracks across America. Monster Smash Finals. Greater than sign. New co-host. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not. Are we really going to have this back and forth at the end of the show? <laughs> <laughs> We'll see you guys. We'll see you everybody. Hope you all enjoyed.